0: الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال محمد وبارك وسلم على سيدنا سيدنا محمد وسلم so the next uh, session that we're going to be covering is on the topic of simplicity and decluttering. And uh, so to read, I have uh, Salman, who's going to be reading. He is—he's um, actually an eye doctor. So if you can't see the screen, you might want to talk to him after. Um, so, but we're going to get right into it. inshallah.
1: Simplicity and decluttering. You have to come very close to the mic. Simplicity and decluttering. Premise. Clutter and complexity produce a mental, psychological, and spiritual stress that hinders our work and our important relationships including our connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Okay, so the first point about clutter and complexity, and this is a very, now
0: this is a nice transition from sleep, because so far we're basically talking about things that you don't have to do, right? So one, we're doing less of it. So, you know, uh, sleep is basically the opposite of staying awake, so we're telling you to stay awake a bit less, uh, <laughs> or, or, or maximize your sleep. And in this case, less is more. When you simplify and declutter, then you improve so many other aspects of your life. So the, the theme is this, right? With clutter, the brain only has the ability to take in so much at any given point in time. It can only be stimulated by a couple of things at a time. So for instance, if there's right now if somebody were to cough, we'd all be able to pick it up because there's relative silence. There's not that much noise. We're not stimulated. But if everyone starts talking after and it's break time and somebody coughs in between, you're not going to catch it because you're not overstimulated. So when we are cluttered, when our brain is cluttered, when physically the space is cluttered and it's complex, it produces this stress that limits our abilities. And in particular, as believers, our goal is to be connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the most important connection we can ever develop. And,
1: And that is limited if we don't simplify and declutter our life. Simplifying and decluttering has been shown to produce numerous benefits. It is no wonder that Islam also emphasizes simplicity in multiple ways.
0: Like going back to the theme that Sheikh Hussein started with, right? And that is that wellness is uh, it was built upon the sunnah, right? I mean, any aspect of the Prophet's life or any aspect that the deen teaches, you'll see uh, that it promotes wellness. And so it's obvious here that simplicity, which is a principle of deen, and we're going to see it has numerous benefits for us in this life, let alone the hereafter, And the key point, the key key theme to keep in the back of your mind is that when there's space, we thrive. When we have space, we thrive.
1: Natural attraction towards simplicity. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi said simplicity is from faith. Look, this is the hadith of the Prophet. ﷺ. So
0: simple, right? I mean, we know the Prophet ﷺ. He can just use a few words and he can explain so much. al min al-Iman. Simplicity, being simple, is from iman. The deen is simple, the Prophet
1: ﷺ is simple, and he sallallahu encourages
0: a simple life.
1: Human beings are naturally inclined towards simplicity. When we simplify, physically, socially, interpersonally, emotionally we thrive and exhibit our full potential.
0: Okay, so the first point, human beings are naturally inclined towards simplicity. This is how we are wired, right? If you think about human beings and throughout our history, is this loud enough? Can you hear in the back? Yes. I feel like it's not. Okay. If you, if you look into, your, uh, into human history, right, we never had the amount of stuff that we have now we would essentially have whatever we could carry with us. Because we had to move, we were nomads, we'd go from one place to place to place. So whatever you can carry on your shoulders and on your back and maybe on one animal, that was all the materials that you have. So we're just biologically wired to word simplicity. This is what we're inclined toward. And what's interesting is that this is a principle that if if you want to see one corporation or company that's picked up on this principle and taken full advantage of it, it's Apple right? If you look at what Apple's done, in fact, this was the the mantra that like Steve Jobs had. And that was that he reco- he was to say this, that human beings are simple and human beings are inclined towards simplicity. And he would say that I want people to love us. And the way that they're going to love us is if we're simple. And so his, he had this, um, he had this ad agent, the person that ran his ads, Ken Segal, you might've heard his name. He's written this book called Insanely Simple. And he talks about this principle of Apple, right? And that is that they became what, the first company to a trillion dollar market capitalization. They are arguably the most successful. They're the company that everyone waits for the next product to come out, and they're not going to think twice about purchasing it. Simply because it's Apple, I want their AirPod. Simply because it's Apple, I want the next iPhone. And it, the reason is because they've t- realized that human beings are simple and they incline towards simplicity. And if we can create a simple product that touches on this, we can take full advantage, right? So for instance, before the iPhone came out, phones were full of clutter. And now with the first iPhone, they had this little button on the bottom, right? When you felt overwhelmed, when you felt like, you know, you wanted to get out, you just push that button and you're home, right? They just, they realized it very quickly. All of their products are the same way. And now you look at their competitors, right? Look at like Dell, for instance. If, If you go to Apple's website and you want to get a laptop, right? How many options do you have? How many options do you have? You have three choices. Three choices, right? You have like this MacBook Air, you have a Pro 13 and now like a Pro 16, right? And you would think, okay, well, they only have three choices. Don't people want choice? You look at Dell, HP, and you go to their websites, and you try to purchase a laptop. They're so complex. There's 40, 50-plus laptop options on each of these websites, right? And so there's a reason they've fallen so far behind Apple, right? As, a, as an organization, Apple has absolutely figured this out, and they've taken full advantage of this. Now, when we simplify... Right? When we simplify ourselves physically, socially, interpersonally, and emotionally, it allows us to exhibit our full potential. Meaning, look, complexity and clutter, it weighs us down. Right? It weighs us down. And we, we want to fly. Right, We want to fly in this world. We want to fly in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we're tied down and weighed down by all of these things, which we're going to discuss in detail, then we're limiting ourselves.
1: Physical clutter. Simplifying our lives begins with simplifying the physical space around us.
0: Look, this is an important principle. When you begin to, re- when you realize, now that we've understood that simplicity is part of Deen and simplicity is part of being human, right? This is our natural inclination and our natural tendency. And when we you know, fall outside of that, then we begin to struggle and suffer. When we realize this, the next step is, well, okay, what's the first step that I take, right? And we begin with physical, right? There's a very interesting principle in cognitive psychology, and it says that you know, it's far easier to act your way into a way of thinking than to think your way into a way of acting, right? It's far easier to act your way into a thinking. So if the idea is that I want to simplify myself, I have to start actively, openly simplifying things. And the most obvious space is going to be the physical space that's around us.
1: With access to far more items than ever before in human history, we have acquired possessions that often serve limited purpose in our lives. Okay, but- so... This is a problem that really started in the last 50
0: years, right? We talked about how human beings, we never really had too many possessions. But at least in this country, you know, if you go to a grocery store in the 1950s, the average, the average supermarket would have about 3,000 uh, things to purchase. And you go to a grocery store in the 1990s, that number went to 30,000. Tenfold increase in the number of things that you could buy. And it really has to do with all of these Cheap imports that came from Asia and things like that, from China, where all these cheap products were bro- being brought into stores. Um, and so human beings, we as hum- Americans, we just started collecting all of these things. And, and many a times it didn't even serve any purpose. Uh, you look today, right? You have options. On Amazon, there's like 12 million different things that you can purchase. 12 million different things that you could purchase.
1: Clutter in the home has been linked to increased levels of stress hormones. Negative well-being and a decreased attachment to our home in general. Look,
0: you guys have probably heard about this, you know, Con Marie or Marie kondo craze, right? 2019 was a year, and how everyone has become obsessed with this, right? I mean, it's like Netflix show, and it's like one of the top shows. And you think about it, like, how is that possible? How is it? If I was to tell you five years from now, the most famous person on you know television is going to be someone who teaches you how to vacuum your house, you'd probably laugh. Right? But this is really what happened. And so why is it that someone who basically has come up with a way to declutter your physical space is now so popular? And it goes back to this whole point that we incline towards simplicity. And when now when we've accumulated all of this garbage over the course of, you know, let's say decades, now all of a sudden someone has this very strategic way of removing that and relieving the stress that comes with that, we become inclined toward that person and inclined toward those methods, right? So that's why her movement has become so big. Everyone's heard about it. And everyone's thinking, well, how can we bring it into our life, right? And then by extension of her, you've heard of the minimalist movement, right? Which is, which is like the, one of the newer ones, right? Which is that we're going to live simply. We're only going to have a handful of things that we can carry. And then the extreme of the minimalist movement, you heard of the fire movement, right? The fire movement, financial independence, retire early. right? And that, so the idea, and that basically is that we're never going to take a loan. We're never going to clutter our life. We're going to work for a few years, accumulate as much as we can, and then just going to retire and enjoy Right? But the reason that people are going toward these movements right, in such strong numbers is simply because they're fed up or we're fed up with complexity. Like That's not who we are. We're human beings. We incline towards simplicity. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of our nature. So you see, this craze really has to do with what we made our lives. And that is just full of all this clutter.
1: As a rule of thumb, the Prophet advised, that which is little but sufficient is better than that which is abundant but distracts.
0: SubhanAllah. This is like the declutter hadith, right? min ma wa alha. That which is sufficient, uh, that which is little but sufficient, is better than that which is abundant but distracts, right? So the Prophet is highlighting to us that, look, in a way, I don't want to use the word minimalist because it has a connotation, but in a way when it comes to like things, we're minimalist, meaning we prefer those things that are sufficient, even if there are few, over-accumulating all this clutter that's abundant and it distracts us really from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
1: Hence, we should aim for simplicity by, one, purchasing items based on need and appropriateness rather than bargain. Okay, so this is really important, right? the tendency of the average person shop, the average
0: shopper, you can say, right, the average consumer is that I'm going to chase bargains. If I find a sale somewhere, then I'm going to go check out, you know, what what's on sale. You go to Target and they have, let's say, like $10 or less, right? Your natural tendency is you're going to go and explore those shelves and see what on here is, is there that I need, right? But Uh, but we should think the opposite, right? What happens is when you begin to shop for bargains and sales, you just accumulate things that you don't really need. If you needed it, you would have written it down and said, look, I need a new watch because I've been needing a watch for some time. But instead, you're going and looking at the shelves or you're searching online and seeing and browsing around to see what's on sale, but what's on sale may not be what you actually need. So it would be far better for us to purchase those things that are based off of need. You know, the ideal store would be that you'd walk into the store uh, no, you'd, you'd walk in and, and see an item that you needed, right? And then determine, is this something that I actually need? And then you look at the price and see, can I afford it or not? But it's the opposite. We first look at the price and say, oh, this is for $25. Let's see if I can fit this into my house and my environment. But that, create, that that's where we accumulate so much clutter. In fact, the, the stuff that's cheaper is the stuff that really builds um, uh, clutter into our house. Now, uh, there's a few... Subtle, there's a few additional extensions of this, right? Some of the tricks that retailers use to get you to buy their clutter, right? One is, so the whole principle is that don't buy cheap substitutes, right? If there's something that's quality, there's something that you need, buy it, right? And, and keep it and make sure that it's something of quality rather than something that's very cheap. What are some of the tricks that retailers use? For instance, aisle shopping, aisle shopping. When you are checking out, right in the aisle right what does a retailer do they they put all these things in those aisles like you go to tj maxx or any of these stores they put all these things there that you had no intention of getting you didn't go into the store to buy some espresso coffee beans from italy right that wasn't your intention you didn't go to buy you know socks that uh that don't fit you you didn't go for that purpose but they know that once you're already in the checkout aisle you've now committed to buying right your wallet is out it's far easier for you to now stuff from the aisle that's unnecessary because you've already made a commitment to buying so we should be careful of that we should be careful of things like add-on purchases right so let's say you're online you're shopping you need to purchase something right you get you need you need to purchase I i don't know let's say a pair of socks or something and then as you're purchasing that purchasing that pair of socks right before you check out it says oh you may also be interested in this right and it gives you like three other options those are things that you don't need and studies have shown that when you purchase something you, you didn't need, like you walk into a store, like let's say you walk into a store saying you need tomatoes, you need onions, and you need Kleenex boxes. And then you come across like a pair of socks when you get inside that store. Studies have shown that things that you purchase, impulse buying, are far less likely to satisfy you than things that you purchased when you went into the store knowing that you had to get something. Right? So be very careful of this. Sometimes you know we will add on items to our cart because we want to get to this free shipping threshold right? It's like $75 for shipping. We'll have $50 in our car. So we're like, man, I really want that free shipping. I don't want to pay $6 for shipping. Let's see what else I can buy to get to $75. But that item you're going to buy is going to clutter your house.
1: And two, decluttering our environment from possessions that do not serve a
0: purpose. Okay, so the first step is to limit what actually comes into our house. And you're going to see this is the theme. The first step of simplification is to, is to put up barriers, right? Whether it's decluttering our mind, whether it's decluttering our heart, whether it's decluttering our social lives, to put up barriers so that you're filtering what comes in, right? So that's the first step, is to not make unnecessary purchases, especially of useless items that don't have purpose in your life. The second is to declutter our environment from possessions that don't serve a purpose, right? Khan Marie says that, you know, you should look at an item and ask, does it bring you joy, which is maybe a bit extreme, but ask if it serves as a purpose and your Does it bring me closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is this something that's facilitating my existence in this world? I'm here to serve Allah and the Prophet and his creation. Is this something that's facilitating it? And if it's not, then it's something
1: I should probably get rid of. As an example, the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam contained few items, each of which served a purpose. Umar radiallahu states, I entered upon the Messenger of Allah وسلم, when he was sitting on a reed mat. I sat down and saw that he was wearing a waist wrap, and there was no other barrier between him and the mat but his waist wrap, and the reed mat had made marks on his side. And I saw a handful of barley, nearly a saa, and some acacia, <laughs> acacia leaves in a corner of the room and a skin hanging up. My eyes flowed with tears, and he said, Why are you weeping, O son of Khattab? I said, O Prophet of Allah, why should I not weep? This mat has made marks on your side, and this is all you have accumulated. I cannot see anything other than what I see here, while Khosrows and Caesar live among fruits and rivers. You are the prophet of Allah and his chosen one, and this is what you have accumulated. Okay, so look at the look at the house of the prophet Sassidim, right? He has just a handful of things. He has
0: a reed mat which is like this you could say like a, the basket weaving like material. That's what the prophet Sassidim would sleep on. He had uh, hanging on the wall was like this skin which is like the skin that would be used to uh, like a, it was like a water container of the prophet Sassidim. He had a few items for cooking for food that would that he would need and that was it. Now, you could you could argue that well you know, the Prophet ﷺ had all these things because, you know, he couldn't afford anything more, right? But this isn't the case. We, you know, the Prophet ﷺ's preference, in fact, in one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says that uh, I was offered the mountains of Mecca in gold and silver, right? I was offered the mountains of Mecca in gold and silver. But what do I have as a need for this? I'm, just, I'm a traveler in this world who's taking a break under the shade of a tree and then I'm going to move on. The Prophet ﷺ exemplifies simplicity, right? We see just a handful of things in his house, a decluttered home. So we should uh, try to emulate this as well. Maybe, I mean, practically speaking, there's probably more things that you and I need in our house. But you can see the simplicity of the Prophet ﷺ. uh, You can see the outward simplicity of the Prophet ﷺ here when it comes to his house.
1: Further advantages of decluttering include increase in free time, decrease, decrease stress, healthier eating, and improved interpersonal relationships. So look, what happens when you
0: declutter, physically declutter, they have these scientists, they're called like uh, ethnographers. They are people who basically go into your house or into your natural living environment and they observe what stresses you, what bothers you, what encourages you, what stimulates you. And... Uh, and what some of the things that they've noticed is that clutter for instance it, it, it uh, if you remove clutter from your house that it increases your free time right you look at like let's just let's take an example let's look at clothing for example right if you have a closet that's cluttered or you have let's say a hundred pairs of clothes, Number one, that takes time for you to fold. It takes time for laundry. Every morning when you wake up, you have the stress of having to figure out what exactly it is that I'm going to wear. You know, every time when you come home, you have to decide, are these clothes worthy of putting in the laundry or do I need to actually... There's so much time that's taken up by clutter, let's say in terms of a closet. Now look at, like, successful people in this world, right? Look at the, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this. They say that Steve Jobs would wear, uh, from a dunyawee standpoint, people of success, Steve Jobs, who's a billi- who was a billionaire, he wore the same thing every single day. He just had the same, he had, one, he had a black turtleneck, he had blue jeans, and he had these New Balance shoes. He just had multiple pairs of all of this, and this would be hanging. Mark Zuckerberg, right, another example of someone who, at least from a dunya we standpoint, achieved something, right? A successful person. And, and the reason that they, uh, he, his, his, his uh, if you look at his wardrobe, literally gray T-shirts just lined up, the exact same shirt, and then blue jeans. That was his wardrobe. And this is someone who has obviously a lot of money. And then they ask like, well, what's the reason? It's something called decision fatigue. They, want, they don't wanna start their morning off having to make a decision of what they have to wear because that's gonna slow them down. That's an extra decision they have to make. Then if they have to decide, what am I gonna have for breakfast? That's another decision they have to make. By the time they get to work or where they're in their environment of productivity, like for us, let's say the masjid, right? They've already exhausted several of those decisions. It's caused mental fatigue. Now, allahu alam, how true it is, but you see this, you know, 10-item uh, wardrobe is like a movement as well now. People are tired of the amount of clothes they collected, right? Highly successful people only have just, they wear the same thing every day. I'm sure some of you can think of, you know, that, that sort of a circumstance. Because that's just less uh, time, less energy that's required. Um, so the 10-item wardrobe is like this new thing that everyone's, you know, practicing, which is that, don't have clothes that you wear only at home, and clothes only that you wear outside, and clothes only that you wear at parties, because then you're tripling and quadrupling the number of clothes you have. You know, our tendency is to wear clothes at home that are, you could say, junky. We wear pajamas and PJs and things like, just aren't presentable. But we're spending time with our families, the most important people. We should be more presentable in front of them than we are when we go to the store or when we go to some other place where we're interacting with people that don't have as much value in our life. We should be simple in front of our families. We should be presentable. Um, and we see the example, there, and then, uh, so, and then healthier eating, there's a very interesting study that was done that took um, women, I think they were mothers, new, new, uh, or mother, new, um, new mothers, uh, at least they were women, they put them they, in two sets of kitchen. it was a clinical study that was done, and they told them that this is a taste, te- uh, taste test study, it was like 100 women, and they put one group of women, like they had them go into a kitchen that was cluttered, it was like a set up kitchen, and the dishes were all over the place, and the countertops were all full, and they had cookies, they had carrots, and they had um, uh, uh, crackers, and they basically said, sample as many as you want. We want to get a good feel for this. The other kitchen was clean. Nothing on the countertops, nothing in the sinks. All they had was just those three things, and they found that the women that were taste testing in the space that was cluttered consumed twice as many cookies as the other group. (laughs) Right, even clutter, in, it, 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 poor habits, right, uh, unhealthy eating, and interestingly, the amount of crackers and cookies uh, and, and carrots that were eaten were the same across both both groups.
1: Simplifying and decluttering beyond the physical, physical decluttering creates the mental and spiritual space needed to simplify other aspects of our lives. This is a common principle in life and can be seen in action in many. F- Fortune 500 companies, especially in Silicon Valley.
0: So the, gen- the common principle is that unless you can attend to the general, so in the case of physical clutter, for instance, you can't pay attention to detail. If you want to declutter some of the finer details in your life, unless you attack the, f- the, the, the general first, you won't be able to get to detail. You know, And, and we see this um, in a lot of these corporations now. For instance, Samsung, like, if you look at the new designs of some of these corporate headquarters, like San Jose really being the, the hub of a lot of this, Samsung has a new headquarters they it 's just open space you look at their the, the design images there's nothing there's just desks a chair there's nothing that can that uh, that uh, stimulates and then stresses the mind and then limits productivity that 's their whole goal is productivity how can we get the most out of out of our employees you see this with um, Google as well and most corporations now this the the cubicle it's hard to find a new company that installs a space that has cubicles also built in. Because the, just the way that cubicle separates people, one is, okay, there's less social interaction, but the other thing is it's visual clutter that limits productivity. So even co- uh, large corporations and Fortune 500 companies have absolutely taken advantage of this understanding. Uh, and they say that, uh, you know, in their minds, this is their, this is their quote, that clutter is the enemy of focus and innovation, minimalism and simplicity foster creativity. So if you want to be creative productive,
1: remove clutter. Maintaining a simple physical space allows us to apply our energies to simplifying our schedules, our relationships, and importantly, our minds. This, in turn, lends to beauty in our Islam. So, this is... um
0: so the first step is the physical space. We talked about this in the beginning, right? Once you address the physical, you move on. I mean, you, you, by addressing the physical, it becomes easier for, now for you to pay attention to other aspects of your life. What are the important aspects of our lives that need to be decluttered, right? Number one are our schedules. Number two are our relationships. Number three are our minds. And there's many more. And uh, by removing the clutter from all of these things, we're able to display the beauty of our islam and our iman. So there's a hadith pertaining to this.
1: From the beauty of the Islam of a person is his leaving that which does not concern him. So you've
0: heard this hadith, right? من Islam إسلام المرء تركه ما لا That from the beauty of a, the Islam of a person is his leaving or her leaving that which doesn't concern them. Right? This is like another declutter hadith. Right? The beauty of the Islam of a Muslim is not by adding acts of worship. It's by removing the excess from your life. If you want to become a beautiful Muslim and you want to beautify your Islam so that it's presentable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the people that we interact with, right, for the purposes of, of encouraging deen in all of our relationships, then remove by removing things from your life, rather than adding more things, you'll be able to accomplish these goals. So we'll start with the schedule.
1: A simple schedule. A decluttered schedule is built on five daily prayers, sleep, work, or education important relationships, and necessary life activities. We should try to identify those items in our schedule that are not conducive to our goals and should seek to limit these activities whenever possible.
0: Okay, so uh, this is very interesting, right? Uh, So what every, every human being needs a schedule, right? We know that, and that's been discussed before. And the schedule is predicated on the five daily prayers. You have your five daily prayers that are anchoring into your schedule. You have sleep, right, which we just talked about, and let's say that adds up, you know, six, seven, eight hours of your day, of your night, your important relationships, like your family, you know, namely your family, uh, and necessary life, life activities. Now, there's really some really interesting studies that look at how human beings are spending their free time. When you total up the time that you sleep, you work, you uh, take care of your immediate family, your, um, you address your personal needs like hygiene, shower, and cleanliness, that takes up in total about 20 hours in a, in a day. 20 hours in a day. That leaves about three to four hours in, in a normal, let's say, working weekday or, you know, four hours left. And those four hours are yours, right? That's our time to develop ourselves. In the case of Muslims, develop ourselves spiritually. In the case of human beings, develop ourselves in our close interpersonal relationships or our hobbies or connect with nature or uh, do something else that's productive for us, maybe educate ourselves. Now, uh, Adam Alter, he's a, he's a business school professor from NYU. He's done some work on how much to, what we're doing with that free time. So in 2007, before the first iPhone came out, The average human being, American, of those three to four hours would spend about 30 to 40% of time in front of a screen, namely the television screen. That left about two, two and a half hours in a day. In 2017, same data is analyzed. Out of the four hours where you have to develop yourself, three and a half hours is in front of a screen. Three and a half hours. That means that we as human beings, we we have 30 minutes in a day, or we've left 30 minutes in our day, to be able to develop ourselves in whichever way we want to develop ourselves. 30 minutes, right? So we should be very careful about allowing our screens to intrude into our lives, right? And, and I don't want to you know, talk about this point too much, but what's interesting is that the time that we spend in front of our screens, it's not even time that's actually making us happy. So they did these studies where they looked at, um, they interrupted people uh, while they were looking at their smartphone, right? They were looking at their smartphone uh, during uh, activities like uh, news, social media, um, uh, and uh, text messaging and things like that. And they interrupted them and they, and they asked some scores of happiness. And then they interrupted people when they were looking at, you know, their, a health-related app, right, or they were reading a book. And most of us spend, like three-quarters of the time, if not more, are spent doing things that are that actually make us unhappy in the moment. Right? So we're basically allowing those three and a half hours of our free time to go toward things that certainly are not going to benefit us in the Akhirah, they actually aren't even benefiting us in the dunya. I mean, emotionally and psychologically. So, and, and this is, they've designed screens so that you just become so attracted to it, right? The endless scrolling and then the, just the way they've designed everything. But we should be very careful about what we, uh, what we how we allow um, our time to be intruded by things that are unwelcome and unwanted. And, and screens, we're, I, I mean, all of us can say that we don't we think they, they ask people how much time do you think you spend on a screen and the average person says half the time that they actually spend like if you measure them if somebody spends four hours on a screen they predict that they spend two hours we think we're spending less but all of us feel uncomfortable with it and it's because it creates this unhappiness within us so why are we using our time to, to unbridle our full potential towards something that we ourselves feel uncomfortable with
1: Additionally, by leaving space in our schedules, we increase the yield for the time that we do devote to important things in our schedule while maintaining consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A spaced schedule leaves time to take advantage of potential opportunities that might arise throughout the day.
0: Okay, so there's two points here. The first is that when we're creating a schedule, number one, we should have one. Number two, we should be careful to maximize the use of the free time that we have. Number three, we should... um, Keep space with uh, we should keep space within that schedule. Okay, there's two types of space. One is that um, the first thing We increase the yield for the time that we do to devote imp- to important things in our schedule I maintain the cost of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by leaving space So by leaving a little bit of space in our schedule our mind becomes less uh, Infatuated by the next thing that's coming. So for instance, let's say that you know Salah is at 4 o'clock and you schedule a meeting at 4 10 Right? Which means that as soon as you pray, the next thing that you have to do is attend to that meeting then the whole time you're praying which is time where you're supposed to try to devote and be conscious of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala you're just constantly worrying about how am i going to get to that meeting and what's going to happen in that meeting but if you create a little bit of space let's say you schedule it at 4:30 so that after the, you can so that there's space between the salah and the meeting itself then you'll actually be able to fully engage yourself in whatever activity that you that, that you're involved in the second is is that you want to leave space in your schedule so that you can take advantage of potential opportunities and and the reason is because we are we think that we can create our schedules but ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is who creates it, right? The things that come into our life, the unpredictable options that are available to us, these things are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we can't predict these. You know, And if we leave space, then we can, take, we, can take, um, we can take benefit from it. Like for instance, if we, let's say we have a meeting coming up and it's like one o'clock and we're at work, right? We normally would think that I'm going to leave at 12.55 because if I leave at 12.55, I'll get to the meeting by 12.59. I'll be there before the meeting starts and I'm there on time. Right? But let's say on the way someone interrupts you and they want to say, hey, how are you? Right? What happens if you're running late for a meeting and, hey, I'm really sorry, I gotta go? You don't give him any attention, right? You have to leave the house at 8.30, right? And you actually think that you're gonna get in the car at 8.29, right? What happens is you're rushing down the house, you're not even saying salam to your immediate family, you have the opportunity to smile at your spouse, you just get in the car and you disappear. You know, you, Salah at the Masjid is at four o'clock and you are on the way to the, you, you plan to leave your house and so that you can arrive here at 3.59. Let's say you're walking from the parking lot and there's something on the road and you wanna move it out of the way so that you can receive reward for removing some obstruction from the path of another believer, which is highly rewarded, right? You won't be able to do so because you're you're just so constricted in your time. So we leave time in between activities so that we can focus on the immediate activity at hand, number one. And we leave time between activities so that there's opportunity for us to take advantage of some reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is potentially offering us.
1: Social clutter. Positive social relationships are among the best predictors of enduring well-being. Okay. Positive
0: social relationships are among the best predictors of enduring well-being, right? So there's a lot of studies that are on, on – on, in fact, one of the – you know we talked about sleep, but one of the most um, – one of the predictors of, of longevity in life – is social relationships. You know, they've done a number of studies. One study looked at 300, it was a meta-analysis of like a number of studies. 380,000 people were in, these, in that meta-analysis. And on average, socially connected people lived 50% longer than those that were not socially connected. There's another meta-analysis looked at 3.8 million people and very similar results. So, so positive social relationships are very important.
1: These types of relationships are relatively rare and usually require deeper face-to-face interactions that provide meaning. Numerous studies show that such relationships are essential for success and highly valued by those who attain success in what they do.
0: Look, in order for us to thrive in whatever we want to thrive in, in Dean, in in our careers, in our education, we need support. And that support comes from people whom we have deep face-to-face interactions with, our family namely, our parents, our siblings, our children. uh, And that can never be replaced.
1: With the advent of elaborate virtual social networks, it has become more difficult to reap the benefits that come from social interactions, as social networks promote numerous superficial relationships over few deep interactions.
0: Look, it's important to note that in Dean we had this principle of Sohbah. The hearts have to come into each other's company in order to maximize the benefit that can interact between two individuals. And it's very difficult to do that when our relationships are so invested in in virtual, when our relationships have become so virtual that there's very little face-to-face interaction.
1: A recent study found that young adults with high social media use felt more socially isolated than those with lower social media use.
0: Interesting. You join social media with the intention of becoming more social, but the effect of it is that you actually feel more socially isolated. Now the debate of is social media helpful for me as an individual socially? Does it, does it contribute to positive social relationships? That's still a bit out there, right? There's multiple cross-sectional studies, which basically means you look at a group of people at any given point in time, and there's certainly associations between mental health disorders and social media. For instance, Twitter and ADHD has been linked. The more you tweet out, like they look at people that tweet like irrationally when, at any time of day, and you find out that they actually have ADHD. There's a relation between Twitter and heart disease. These are all really associations In order for us to get data that shows that social relationships are actually harmful, you need to follow people over a lifetime. We're not waiting for that to happen to our kids. I mean, we don't don't have a lifetime to decide if something uh, beneficial or not. We have our principles and deen that tell us that suhbah and face-to-face interaction and the hearts coming together and the company, for instance, of the Prophet and the Sahaba and the company that we potentially can have with our teachers, that carries value, that's positive. We don't need to wait for some additional,
1: you know, some, some more science to prove this for us. We should seek to develop the most important relationships in our lives, family, cl- close friends, the pious, as these are most likely to support us through the difficult endeavor called life. Look,
0: the dean creates this network for us, right? It puts our family members in a particular place, and it says, remove, remove all the other clutter from your social life. The most important people, you, your spouse, your parents, your children, your siblings, prioritize the company of people of piety. Once you've established those relationships and you've solidified them, then feel free to expand this a bit more. But if you're going to expand these social networks beyond belief where you have 100,000 people that are following you or you're following them and you have these very superficial relationships and you haven't developed the relationship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mandated for us to, to, to develop, Uh, then we're not going to find success. We will feel isolated. I think this is the last section, uh, but we should be able to wrap up in five minutes, inshallah.
1: Mental and emotional clutter. Decluttering our minds requires us to be careful about what we bring in through our senses while appropriately processing the thoughts that circulate in our mind. This begins by regulating external stimulation.
0: So the next is our minds and our emotions. This is the very detailed topic, so we're just going to touch on this. But again, the, the idea being that we have to create filters. Be careful of what comes in through the eyes and through the ears and through the limbs because all of those things are now avenues to your mind and to your heart, and they cause clutter.
1: Additionally, we should keep our thoughts in perspective. While it is common to become fixated on what happens with us, it is important to see things in the context of the reality of our lives and the tests established by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, Wondrous is the affair of the believer, for there is good for him in every matter, and this is not the case with anyone except the believer. If he is happy, then he thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and thus there is good for him. If he is harmed, then he shows patience, and thus there is good for him.
0: SubhanAllah, this is the mindset of the believer that's struggling, you know, with... With, with thoughts, with, with too many thoughts, with too many emotions, with too much clutter, right? That the believer is always in a circumstance and a situation uh, that is wondrous. That's, that, because everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if he gives us good then we're, we're uh, grateful to Allah. And if there's some difficulty that he presents toward us, then we show patience, and then he becomes pleased with us anyway. You know, this is cognitive behavioral therapy. You've probably heard of CBT, which is the basis of like, which is the first, the traditional CBT is the first method used to help declutter the mind, right? I mean, this hadith really highlights this principle, right? So what happens, you get laid off at work, you come home and you say, you know what, the reason I got laid off is because my boss, my boss hates me, right? And what is that, what sort, so that's the cognition, what sort of effect does that have? You feel stressed, you feel frustrated, your blood pressure goes up, you live shorter, right? But the deen says, okay, well, switch your thinking. What if it was that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was testing you, and he wants to see if you're patient through this test, and he plans to reward you, in fact, this is something that was good for you. Now your cognition is, I got laid off from work because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually loves me. Now, what is the effect of feeling loved by Allah? Now you feel privileged, you feel grateful, positive emotions, positive health. Subhanallah. Right? Like th- th- this is the essence.
1: One tool that facilitates mental and emotional decluttering is, is dhikr. It nourishes the soul and provides the heart's contentment, as mentioned in the Quran.
0: Where right, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ala bi that the heart uh, the, the real the, the source of contentment for the heart is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only source of contentment for the heart is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
1: Additionally, with consistent practice, it reduces stress, improves our ability to focus, and reduces the presence of unhelpful thoughts such as rumination, neuroticism, and obsession. It is a mindful practice that pr- predates the often sought meditative and transcendental practices touted today.
0: Look, everyone's doing dhikr today. Everyone's doing dhikr today, right? Not just the Muslims. This is something that's been... Our, dhikr has been in our tradition uh, as, as taught by the Prophet Sallallahu but then manifested by so many of our ulama and mashayikh and they really placed an emphasis on dhikr not just because it carries the benefit of providing contentment for the heart but it declutters the mind. It allows us to focus. You know, uh, it... it it forces us to focus on a particular task at one particular point in time. Where we talk about muraqaba, for instance. Muraqaba, which we've you know, been doing for centuries and centuries and centuries, is basically the, is, is a form of mindfulness-based meditation, which really everyone is, 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 is touting today. right? And what is um, awareness, which is like a different principle. Right? Be aware of your surroundings at any given point in time. That's wuqof. Right? That's wuquf. And, you know, uh, uh, sitting and focusing on some particular task. That's, you know, doing salawat on the Prophet When you're consciously thinking about these things, these provide such focus for the mind in addition to purification for the heart. It's a, it's a shame that we, this hasn't become more mainstream in our communities. I mean, it's pleasing to Allah. It's good for our hearts and most certainly it's good for our minds.
1: Simplicity lends to worship. One of the major benefits of simplicity is that it opens space for experiencing the fruits of our worship of Allah. Subhanahu wa when we declutter, we remove distractions and open space for that experience. The Prophet ﷺ was so cognizant of this goal that even the slightest lack of simplicity would be noticed by him. Aisha narrates, the Prophet ﷺ prayed in a garment having marks. During the prayer, he noticed its marks. So when he finished the prayer, he said, take this garment of mine to Abu Jahm. And give me his woolen garment without marks, as this garment has diverted my attention from the prayer.
0: SubhanAllah. One thing uh, captures the attention of the Prophet, Affect, it clutters his worship, right? One small thing, and immediately he says, Replace it. And you know, imagine you're praying salah, and then your phone buzzes and it distracts you for a second. You say, You know what? Return the iPhone and get me, uh, you know, I'll, I'll carry wood chips in my pocket from now on. That's the equivalent, right? Uh, this is the final point.
1: Simplicity and decluttering, the ultimate objective. The following hadith summarizes this discussion best. Abdullah said, said I heard your Prophet said, whoever focuses all his concerns on one thing, the hereafter, Allah will, re- Allah will relieve him of worldly concerns.
0: <laughs> Look, the reason that we clutter our lives so much is because we're concerned about our world. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala designed this world. And he's made it very clear that if you remove all the excess from your life, right? مَا قَلَّ خَيْرٌ مِمَا كَثُرَ Remove all of the excess from your life, I will take care of your world for you. Meaning, remove your excess from your life so that you can focus on the true reality which is the hereafter. And your dunya, the worldly, uh, your world that you, cl- that you cluttered with the intention of trying to make it better, I'm, that's my responsibility, I will make it easy for you. Right? So when we declutter from anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we simplify our life so that it, our, our only focus is on, on Allah and his hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of everything for us. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the tawfiq to uh, simplify our lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to physically and mentally and emotionally and socially declutter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from this gathering. Wa akhra alhamdulillah rabbil